Man, does anybody need a nap after watching that? That's crazy. It makes me tired just thinking about life like that, and yet that's the reality that a lot of us live. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of detox, of creating a healthy margin of breathing room in your life so that you can help understand what's important and create the space that you need to follow what's important. So if you haven't heard the last couple weeks, there have been great messages from Pastor Ben on how to, how to get some margin and some breathing room when it comes to our time and our finances and life in general. I'd love for you to hop on our website, fourcornerschurch.com, and listen to those messages. They're great from Pastor Ben. Today we're going to talk about what it looks like to create some healthy margin and breathing room when it comes to friendships. I got a friend request on Facebook a couple weeks ago from a guy that I went to high school with. I, I guess I would say that he was a friend at the time. And so I accepted the friend request on Facebook because if you don't, you're kind of a jerk these days. So I, I went ahead and clicked accept and I got a message back from him a little bit later in the week. And it had all of these stories about things that he and I had done together um, in the kind of back in the day. And I was reading it, and at first I was laughing because I thought it was funny to relive or rehear some of the stories about how stupid I was when I was younger. But about halfway through reading this email, it clicked with me that I realized it seems like there's some sense that he kind of wants to go back and relive the glory days, and he's trying to see if I want to go do it with him. And that's just weird. Um, Our friendship took two very different paths. And I don't want to go back and relive the glory days. Um, it bothered me a little bit. And so our friendship took two very different paths. I went to college and began to pursue a, a career in ministry, began to figure out what it looked like to really understand a calling uh, for ministry. And he went to college and began to pursue what it looked like to uh, chase after girls and beer. And um, so those two paths took very different directions. Um, unfortunately, it looked like he still is actively in that pursuit today. Our lives went in two completely different directions, and yet here is somebody that says, hey, will you be my friend? A lot of us have friends like that in our lives still. Friends from the past that we don't really know what to do with anymore. We have this sense of shared experience, and there's a lot of history behind it, but it's obvious to us at this point that our life goals aren't the same, our direction in life isn't the same, and so we just don't really know what to do with them. Everybody's got one of these people. They're the, the people that when you run into them with your wife and your kids or your new cir- circle of friends, they call you by that one college nickname that you wish you never heard again for the rest of your life. They're the people that when you're around a different circle of friends want to tell like the worst stupid story about the stupidest mistake you ever made and then laugh about it. They want to go back and relive the glory days, but can I just be honest? I don't think the glory days are really all that glorious anymore. I mean, if, if we're honest with ourselves, I think most of us would say that other than some potential lack of responsibility and a desire for simplicity of personal freedom, we don't want to go back and relive where we've been. We've grown up. We've moved on. Some of us have literally moved away. We've gotten married. We've started other friendships and other relationships. We've had kids We've begun to pursue a career. Our lives have changed. But a lot of times our relationships don't along that path. And so we have friends like this. So we look at what it looks like to detox friendships this week. I want to help us get some breathing room in our relationships with our friends. So we're going to talk about some common myths that I think we have 
as it pertains to friendships. We're going to take a look at what circles of friends really look like in our life. We're going to take a look at what Jesus has to say about being a good friend. And then we're going to try to help get some ideas around what it looks like to create a healthy margin for friendship so that you can be the type of friend God wants you to be and you can have the type of friends that God wants you to have in your life. As we look at this, there's a couple misconceptions that I think we have about friendships. Some common myths, you may say. The first myth is simply this. We think that close friends are supposed to be lifelong. I don't know where we've bought into this or who has told us this, but there seems to be this idea that if we have a good friend that's close, they're going to be a close friend forever. We hear this term BFF thrown around, best friend forever. But if you have lived through high school or college, you know that sometimes it's like BFM, like best friend for the month, and that's good for you sometimes. Like people come and go in your life in a way that cycles in and out as you change and as you go through seasons of life. So we have this common myth that we think that we're supposed to have best friends and they're supposed to last a lifetime with us. But that's not how friendship works. So as we change and our lives change, and they change, and their lives change. Friends come in and out of our lives in seasons. And if you have a friend that has been with you through multiple seasons in life, you are blessed. Consider yourself lucky. That is a unique circumstance, not the common possibility, the common outcome of friendships. The second friendship myth is simply this. I have an unlimited capacity for close friendships. We live in a, in a kind of crazy world today. You, if you're on Facebook, probably have hundreds of friends on Facebook. You probably have over a thousand people that you would call a friend on Facebook. You have hundreds of people that follow you on Twitter and Instagram. You have thousands of email addresses of people that you have contact with that are friends or family or neighbors or the guy that coached your kid's soccer team six years ago that you still have his email address. We have the ability today more than ever to have a lot of information about the people around us. Your world has gotten smaller and the knowledge of the people around you has gotten significantly bigger. But one thing hasn't changed. Your capacity to be a good friend hasn't changed in that process. It's still the same as it was 20 years ago if you were around when email didn't exist and Facebook didn't exist and Twitter didn't exist. And if you wanted to be a friend to somebody, you had to actually like see them face to face and have a conversation or you had to pick up the phone and call them, not just text them. Or you had to like sit down with a pen and paper and actually write something out by hand. Your capacity to be a friend now is the same as it was then. You have limited capacity. As you look at life, you have 45 to 50 hours a week to do with what you want. That takes out things like school if you're a student or work if you're an adult. It takes out uh, sleep, which is usually pretty good to have, and it takes out the common commute that people have. But that 45 to 50 hours is pretty deceiving as well. That seems like a lot of time, but that doesn't take into consideration things like grocery shopping or mowing the lawn or giving the kids baths or paying bills. I hate all those things. Um, They they clog my time. But the common to-do list of life eats at those 45 to 50 hours in a way that practically we have a very limited time capacity to do what we want with who we want. Your capacity for friendship is limited because your time is limited. Myth number three is this. 
it's that close friendships are based on experiences. We have a lot of friends that we have a lot of history with. If you were to say, um, this, if you were to begin to think about friends and you were to say, they were there with me when, and you insert the wins in your life, the, the ups and the downs and the successes and the failures and the, the pains and the joys, you begin to identify people in your mind that fit that bill. Or maybe it's they were with the group that did, and you insert some story of your past that you did something that was really fun, or you did something, honestly, that was really stupid, and you can't believe that you lived to tell about it. We have this shared experience with people that we call friends. But the shared experiences that we have aren't really all that realistic. When we have these shared experiences with people, we look back on those experiences with fondness, and with the sense of nostalgia. But the reality is we don't really want to go relive those things. Shared experiences we're going to talk about in in just a minute as we look at circles of friendship. And shared experiences is a glue that holds friends together. But it's never the foundation of a friendship. The foundation of a friendship should always be shared direction. We're going to talk about that. Friendships that are built on a foundation of shared experiences tend to want to look towards the past. They want to say, hey, that was fun when we did that. Let's try to do that again. Shared friendships built on shared direction say, hey, where are you headed? Let me help you get there. And the fourth friendship myth is just this. There's some myth that we think that somehow close friendships are easy. I don't know where this comes from, but there's this idea that if a close friendship takes work, then it's not a really good friend. But that's just bunk. I mean, if you think about any other relationship you have in your life, it takes work. It takes a lot of work to be a good friend, to be able to say, I'm sorry, and be able to say, I forgive you. And there's a lot of common differences as much as there is things that you have in common with people. Like any other relationship, this takes a lot of compromise. It takes a lot of care. It takes a lot of forgiveness. But we put the work into good friends because we want to maintain that relationship and we see it as worth it. So knowing that our capacity for friends is limited, I think it's helpful to begin to look at what our circles of friends really look like and what our capacity for those circles really are. It's interesting as we look at these, I don't think this is a coincidence or an an accident, but as we look at these circles of friends, we're also going to look at what these circles of friends look like in Jesus' life. And oddly enough, I think that the experiences and and the examples that we see in Jesus' life translate pretty well to what our circles of friends in our lives probably should look like. So let's take a look at this. I believe that friendships generally are based on things that we share with people. As we look at the circles, and I'll I'll walk through them a little bit, um, I think that there are different things at each level that we share with people that make them the friend that they are in that category. So look at your life up here like a bullseye. That's you in the middle. Let's start on the very outside with acquaintances. Acquaintances are generally people that we share proximity with. Uh, We share environments with them. So we bump shoulders with them when we go to church or when we go to our kids' soccer game or when we go to the grocery store or maybe they work with us or they go to school with us. So we have a little bit of knowledge about them. We probably recognize them by face, and we probably know their name, but we don't have any other details about them in life. It's just an acquaintance that we would say, yeah, I know so-and-so, and I'm probably friends with them on Facebook, but 
that's generally the extent of the relationship. In the life of Jesus, it's interesting. We see this large crowd of people that follow him around from teaching to teaching place. And they, they follow him, and they're with him for the majority of his three years of teaching. And so I'm sure that over time, Jesus begins to recognize faces in the crowd, probably begins to have some short conversations with people, begins to recognize them by name and by face. In the life of Jesus, we see that that crowd's probably somewhere around 200 people. I think in general, our capacity for people that we would call acquaintances is about 200 people. Now, immediately, if you hear that, you should have like a red flag going off. Because if you're on Facebook or you're on Twitter or you're on any kind of social media, uh, 200 people in your acquaintance circle, you've already blown that out of the water. So if you have 1,500 people that you call friends on Facebook and the natural capacity for a normal human is two or 300 people as acquaintances, something's not quite right there. And so what happens is you get all these snapshots of life from people that we would call friends, but the reality is we don't have a friendship with them. They're in the acquaintance circle, and we see what's going on in their life. We see that they've stubbed their toe, or that they've eaten at their favorite restaurant, or that they had a baby or lost their job. And they could be halfway around the world, and we've never met them or talked to them, and yet we get this piece of data that makes us feel like we're connected to them. And it's not always healthy. So we have this circle of people that we would call acquaintances. And I think sometimes we let that circle become too big, when in reality we can't manage all of those things and it becomes white noise in our life. The arrow there that moves people from acquaintances to friends, I would say is what I would call shared interest. So you're, you're in the grocery store or you're at your kid's baseball game and you see across the aisle that there's somebody that has a t-shirt on for your favorite sports team. And so you go up and have a conversation with them. And you say, hey, I didn't know you liked the Cubs. I like the Cubs too. That's awesome. They're amazing. They're really not this year, so don't go with that. They're terrible, uh, but I do like the Cubs. And so you strike up a conversation with people in a way that you begin to understand that there's some shared interest. There's some common ground among you. And out of that, people move from that acquaintance circle into the friend circle. They begin to be someone that you want to spend time with. So you do things together. You go out for dinner. You go see a movie. Um, You hang out. You invite them to your house. You begin to get to know them on a more personal level. You hear their story. You understand what they like and dislike. You have some shared experiences together in a way that glues that friendship together and creates some common bonds and memories. As we look at the life of Jesus, there were 12 guys and a couple women as well that I would say clearly kind of exhibit that middle circle of friends for Jesus. The 12 disciples as we see them as the 12 guys that Jesus kind of single-handedly picked out of the large crowd and said, hey, I want you to come in a little closer. And in addition, there's a couple women. There's Mary and Martha and probably Jesus' mom among that circle of people that Jesus said, hey, you were an acquaintance. I want to pull you in, so come be my friend. Eat dinner with me on a regular basis. When we walk around, let's talk. Let me share my heart and my goal and my visions with you. So Jesus had this circle of 12 to 15 people, and I don't think it's unrealistic or that it's just a coincidence that most people have a general circle of friends that they can manage that's 12 to 15 people. The more that expands, the more diluted those relationships get because you have a limited capacity for relationship. So some people are in that friend circle 
and that arrow that transitions people from friends to close friends, I would call shared burdens. Something crappy happens in life. You lose your job. Your, your dog dies. Your kid goes into the hospital. Insert crappy here. And the friend steps in and says, hey man, I love you. Can I share this burden with you in a way that I can come alongside you and help make life just a little bit better? And they move from that, that circle of friendship into what we would call a close circle of close friends. No longer just a friend that you have interest with and you do things that are fun, but they begin to really want to be a part of your life and share the burdens that you carry on a regular basis. The thing that holds people in that circle of close friends, it's not shared proximity. It's not shared interest. It's not shared experience. It's not even shared burdens. If you don't hear anything else but this, hear this. The people that stay in that close circle of friends are people that have shared direction. It's not enough just to like the other person. It's not enough for them to love you. They need to be headed in the same direction as you are in life. Otherwise, you'll always butt heads. When it came to the life of Jesus, he had this group of 12 to 15 people in his friend circle, but there were a group of three guys that over and over again as you read the Bible, Jesus kind of pulls aside and said, hey, can I just pray with you three? Could you three go with me as I do this specific thing and, and just be there as support for me? And it's three guys that we know. Um, the three guys' names are um, Peter, James, and John. And they get to see a more intimate picture of Jesus than anybody else. They're the people that Jesus leans on. And they have a shared direction. It's no coincidence that Peter, James, and John are three of the people that helped start the church and launch it into what it is today. I also don't think it's a coincidence that in most humans' lives, you have the capacity for three or so really close, intimate friends. As you look at the circle the closer to the center that it gets, the more voice people have in our lives, the more influence they have over our thoughts, our decisions, our behaviors. And as that circle grows smaller, so does the number of people involved. Our close friends are the people that we do life with, the limited capacity that we have each week. It's the people that we find comfort with, companionship with. It's the people that we have advice and encouragement. It's the people we've chosen to let into our lives in an intimate way and say, hey, will you do life with me as we move towards this common goal? Jesus shares some perspective on what friendship looks like in John 15. In the passage, he's with his disciples, the twelve. And he has a conversation with them about what his relationship with them looks like as he calls himself their friend. And he also calls us to be friends of his as we look at that. But he defines some good characteristics of what godly friendship looks like. So let's, let's look at this. The scripture will be up on the screen. Follow along with me as I read here. John 15, beginning in, in verse 9. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father loved me. So remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friend if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends 
since I have told you everything the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you're asking for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. And so we look at the scripture and we begin to unpack what Jesus is talking about when it comes to good friends. There's some things we can take away from this. So the first characteristic of being a good friend, according to Jesus, is simply this. Good friends are obedient to God. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do what I command. And then he says, just like I do what God commands me to do. Good friends are people around you that pay attention to what God wants in their lives. They're the people around you that are generally headed in the direction of God's commandments, God's, God's word, God's truth. Good friends aren't perfect. You're not going to find one of those. But you will find godly people trying to follow what they think God wants out of their lives. Godly people that are obedient to God's commands. The second characteristic is, is this. Good friends have a sacrificial love. Jesus says there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. Good friends put the other person's needs before their own. It's not in some weird, unhealthy, like subservient, abusive kind of way, but it's a way that they say to their other friend, I love you, and because I love you, I'm going to consider your needs more important than mine, and I'm going to do what I can to help you meet those needs. A good friend has sacrificial love, and sacrificial love ultimately means that their heart is for the other person first. And that in a friendship, they're not just in it to get what's best for them, for their own desires and interests and goals and plans. They're in it to help the other person become the best person they can be. The third truth from Jesus is that good friends are transparent. Jesus says, I don't call you slaves anymore since I've told you everything the Father has told me. And a good friend, hear this, there's no secrets, there's no hidden agendas, there's no gossip. Good friends create an environment of transparency where the truth can be spoken in love amongst friends. That, that phrase, though, speak the truth in love, you've heard that? That's a dangerous phrase, and it gets thrown around in church circles really easily um, to make people think that if you're a Christian, you can just kind of say whatever you want to somebody else that's a Christian because you're speaking the truth in love because you love each other in some weird way. It's like if you're a Baptist and you say, like, man, that guy's an idiot, bless his heart. Like, saying bless his heart somehow makes what you just said about him okay. That's not how this works. So speak the truth in love doesn't give you, like, a free card to say whatever you want to a friend because you're a Christian and that's just what they do. That's not how it works. Speak the truth in love means that you love the other person so much that you're going to say what you need to say when you need to say it, not just because you can't keep your mouth closed, but because they need to hear it to grow or to be protected or to move forward in some way. It should be something that hurts you before it comes out of your mouth in a way that you know that the way that they're going to hear it, you've already processed enough to know that it's really worth saying before those words come out. And ultimately, when you speak the truth in love, it's for the other person's good. 
It's not done just to tear them down. It's not done just to get off your chest what you feel like you need to say. It's to help another person move forward. The fourth thing that Jesus says is that good friendships produce fruit. He says, I've appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. All friendships produce something. If it's a good friendship, it produces good results. Results that in your life would probably look like spurring one another forward in good deeds and in faithfulness and in showing grace and forgiveness to the world around you. But some of you have friends that don't produce such great fruit. Those friendships may lead to pain. They may, may lead to displeasure. They may lead to failure and destruction in your life. But God has appointed you to be a friend, to bear good fruit in your life. Friendships were created so that good things would come out of your life, good things would come out of their life. They're supposed to be helpful, not detrimental to where you're headed. The fifth characteristic of a friendship from the passage is just this. Good friends bring joy. Jesus says your joy will overflow. Friendships are meant to be fun. They're meant to bring joy to your life. They're meant to bring excitement and vitality and growth in a way that no other relationship really does. At your core, you have a desire to be known and to know someone else. Friendships give you that unique opportunity to connect with somebody else maybe just as weird as you are, that says, I get you, and it's okay. And at the same time, let's move forward in life together. Here's the problem, though. This is the crux for me. A lot of people in this room, probably myself included, are looking at what Jesus says a good friend looks like, and we let people into that core circle of close friends that simply don't line up with what Jesus said a good friend's supposed to be. You've let people into that circle, and they're not the people that should be there. It's not what God's described. It's not what's healthy for you. And yet there they are. Some of you have friends that you've let into that circle simply because you have this sense of shared experience with them. You have a ton of experience together, and yet there's no direction to your friendship The reality is you don't produce good fruit when you're together, and when you're honest with yourself and with them, you know that. Your lives are not forward-focused. You've changed, they've changed, and yet somehow this relationship, friendship between the two of you has not. And it's the uncomfortable elephant in the room. So, without getting like psychosomatic here, um, this isn't like Dr. Phil or Oprah or anything, but you need to have a define the relationship conversation with some friends. They, teenagers probably call it like a DTR. Like that's what you would text to somebody. We need to have a DTR. Um, the reality is you need to define some friendships. You need to have some defining relationship conversations with people. But we put these things off. We want to live in like that worst case scenario of like, if I say this, then they're going to do this, and the next thing I know, like, they're going to like blow up my whole world. Like, it's weird. Um, we live thinking that people are going to react as badly as possible, but in most circumstances, an honest conversation helps a lot more than it hurts. We don't want to hurt people's feelings, feelings, but we don't really want to stay in the same place either. It's just awkward and uncomfortable and weird. So let me help give some shared language for you. 
This will be one of the next bold steps later. If you need this language, we'll email it to you later this week. If you have a conversation and you need to have a define the relationship, define the friendship kind of conversation, here's a great way to have this conversation and to lead into it. Sit down with your friend. Keyword, sit down with your friend. Don't email this to them. Don't text this to them. If you have to, call them and do this, but have the courage and the integrity to have the conversation that needs to happen in an honorable way. So sit down with your friend and say, I love you. We've been through and define where you've been as a friend together. I'm thankful for your friendship, but over time, our lives have begun to head in different directions, and I think we should talk about how that's affected our friendship. I want you to be happy, and I love you, but practically, I need to be honest about where I feel that we're at right now. And go from there. Let them see your heart. Let them understand that you love them, that you care for them, but that where you're at in the existence of your friendship probably isn't healthy for either of you. It's interesting, as we look at the life of Jesus, he had that circle of friends that 12 to 15 people, and even one of the people in that circle of 12 to 15 didn't work out so well. A guy named Judas ended up becoming one of his enemies, turned him over to the authorities, one of the steps that helped lead him to the cross and to his death. Judas and Jesus had a ton of shared experiences together. They spent a lot of time together in the three years that Jesus was on the earth doing ministry. But their shared experiences wasn't enough for their friendship to last. They obviously didn't have shared direction. They were headed in two different places. When Judas betrayed Jesus and Judas showed up and kissed Jesus on the cheek, Jesus said, called him friend. Friend, still. Take the example of Jesus as you have these hard conversations and as friendships transition, as things change in your life, always be a good friend to people. Show them love. Show them grace. Show them forgiveness. Show them respect in the process even of ending a friendship because you never know when God may change someone's life and their direction may come smack in alignment with where you're headed in life once again in a way that that friendship is rekindled. The last thing you want to do is burn a bridge that you don't have to. So in the middle of it all, be a good friend. They deserve that, and you need to do that. Some of us hear this, and the reality is we don't have any friends in that close circle. None. Zero. Maybe you've been hurt before. Maybe you're a little gun-shy. Maybe you're wounded, and you're just not willing to let people in. And so in some sense of self-preservation and self-protection, you've shut off friends in that close, intimate circle of friendship. But let's be honest, the loneliness and solitude that you feel hurts just as bad, maybe different, but it still hurts. Friendships, like all other relationships, make us vulnerable. They expose us in a way that we could be hurt easily. And so a lot of us have been hurt. A lot of you have had crappy relationships that went down the drain and ended badly, and you've been hurt, and because of that, you're scared, or you're simply just not willing to let people in again. So on behalf of God that created friendships and the friends that hurt you and life around you, let me just say I'm sorry. 
That was not how friends were meant to be. But we live in a world that's fallen. We live in a place where people are messy, and because people are messy, relationships get ugly. But that doesn't mean that you give up on them. That means that you find some healing and some space, and you move on. Some of you today need to open up your life to friends once again. Some of you need to find some healing from the past and move on towards the future. Let it go and begin to move on. The truth is that God created you for relationships, and you need to be in them. You need to have friends that can walk alongside you along the path of life and hold you up when life gets hard and celebrate you with you when life gets great. You were made for relationships. Relationships with friends around you and relationships with God. Here at Four Corners, we value community. We believe that it's important to help be people get connected to other people in similar life stages headed in similar directions. So we're really intentional with that around here through Sunday morning worship services, through small groups, through serving opportunities where you can serve side by side with other people towards a common goal of, of carrying out church and for people hearing about Jesus. We have summer small groups coming up soon. They're great opportunities for you to find some community with people headed in the generally same direction as you that are friendly people. We joke around here, we, we can't make you be best friends, but we can put you in the close proximity of people who are friendly and headed in the same direction. Some of you don't have the right friends in that circle because you started out in the wrong proximity circle. You say you want Christian friends, but you're not hanging around the people that are headed in the same direction as you. And so you're looking for Christian friends, but you're going to the bars and the parties to try to find them, and it's like a needle in a haystack. And you may get lucky and find one of them there, but the odds are pretty low. It's like fishing for a shark at the local pond. If you find one, bring them to me. Let me see them. It's interesting. I'd love to figure that out. A lot of you don't have the right friends because you're not looking in the right places for what you want and what you know is true. So we'd love for you to consider being in a small group to find the right circle of acquaintances of people that are friendly and headed in the same general direction of life as you are. Get to know them. Find out if you have some shared interest. Find out if there's some things that you have in common. Find out if there's some people that you might want to invite to be a part of that circle of friends. And over time, they may even become part of that circle of close friends. Some of you are sitting in the room today, and you heard that, and immediately you thought, man, I need that. I need to get around the right kind of people And I need some friends to begin to lean in in my life. And I need to meet some new people and change up some circles that I'm in. There's probably somebody to your right and to your left and behind you and in front of you that heard the same thing. And they need some places to begin to meet people as well. So I challenge you, I'd encourage you to consider leading a small group this summer. Find something in your life that you're going to do anyway that you love and invite some people from Four Corners that are friendly and headed in the same direction to come be a part of it with you. Help create some opportunities for community because you need them, and a lot of those other people sitting around you need them too.
Some of you have the gift of hospitality, and there's no better place for you to begin to use that than by leading a small group this summer so that you can create circles for people where they can meet and interact with people that are headed in the same general direction that are friendly. That's exactly why you have this gift, by the way, to make people feel friendly and welcomed and help people connect the dots of faith and friendship. That's what the gift of hospitality looks like. So whether it's at a barbecue or it's out playing frisbee golf together or it's a pool party, we want this summer to be an opportunity for people to connect with other people from our church that are friendly and headed in the same direction because we think that friendships matter here at Four Corners. I'm a huge football nut. I absolutely love football, and I love the concept of a team sport. I love the way that football players get together, and they spend a ton of time together. Um, They're in the weight room all the time during the offseason. They have nonstop practices and drills and all of these things that lead up to the season and ultimately the games so that they're at their prime when the big game comes. On a football team, there's blood and sweat, and sometimes, if you're honest, there's tears. Um, The unifying piece of a team, though, isn't the time that they spend together. It's not the shared experiences that they have as as teammates. The unifying thing about team sports, and, and especially football, is that They're unified around the common goal, around the common direction of winning the game and having a great record for the season, making it to the playoffs, winning the big game once they get there. There's unifying goals, and the team rallies around them to accomplish that. It doesn't take long to look at a team and realize that they're not focused on the goal because there becomes bickering and frustration with each other. People begin to play selfishly and showboat, and it becomes all about them and their individual needs versus the goals of the team. But when there's shared direction, when there's unity towards a common goal, it's a beautiful thing to see. Friendships are the same way. Our close friends, those people that we let in that small circle that have a voice in our life, that we do life with in the limited capacity we have, our friends that need to be headed in the same direction. We need to be growing towards a common goal together to be the best man you can be, to be the best woman you can be, to be the best mother or father, husband, wife, the best follower of Jesus that you can be. Only then, when there's a unifying goal of two friends headed in the same direction, Will you really experience what Jesus talked about? Friendships that are centered around obedience to God. Friendships that have sacrificing love. Friendships, friendships that have transparency. That produce good fruit. And friendships that bring joy to your life. May you, as you do all that you can to be that kind of friend, Experience amazing godly friendships in your life. Grab your connect card. Let's take a couple of next bold steps together. Next bold step A is there every week. I love it. I love the passage that we looked at today. Jesus, as he's talking about friendship, says he wants to be a friend to you. So some of you need to mark that step 
and for the very first time today say, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Jesus wants to be my friend, and I finally want to accept it. And just like he said in the passage, there's no greater love than a friend that would lay down his life for another friend. And Jesus died on the cross to make a way for you to have a relationship with him. And if you need to accept that today and become a friend of the Savior, mark that box. Next step B is simply that you want to get baptized. That you want to go public with your faith in a way that you can say, I'm with Jesus and I want everybody to know it. Mark that box. We'll send you some information about our next baptism. Next step C is this. I have a friendship that I need to define. Don't let that friendship sit undefined in a way that it's not healthy for you or for them. If you have a friendship you need to define this week, mark the box. Let us send you some encouragement and some shared language around how you can start that conversation in a healthy way. Next step D is this. I need a close friend in my life like Jesus described. We'd love to pray with you and for you around this process to help you figure out how you can be a godly friend to other people and how you can find godly friends to be around and to bring into your circle. Next step E is this. I want to lead a small group this summer to help people find community where they can connect to other friendly people headed in the same direction. If that's you, we'd love for you to mark the box. Let us communicate with you over the next few weeks about what small groups at Four Corners look like, how you can be a part of helping us develop community here at our church. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a Savior that has come into our world and our life and said, I want to be your friend. God, some people in the room are accepting that for the very first time today. I just want to say thank you. God, as they go through this day, as they go through this week, would you make yourself known in their lives in practical and tangible ways that they can become a friend of Jesus? God, thank you for an opportunity to have friends. Thank you for people in our lives that know us and love us despite of our flaws and can help move us forward in common goals and shared direction. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.